Welcome back to Oncology. Finally, finally, I'm getting around to doing what I originally wanted to do with this podcast and talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake. You know, I was even originally going to call this call this series Inspiring Inc. because these are stories or topics that inspire me, but because I keep getting distracted by so many things, I think I'm going to stick with Distracting Inc. because it's doing exactly that while I'm trying to write a story. Uh, yeah, why Final Fantasy VII Remake? What made this game make me want to talk about things? Why, why did this even inspire or distract me enough to create a podcast? Well, simply said, I here's a confession. I did not grow up with the original Final Fantasy VII. Uh, my first game was actually, I was at a friend's place playing on his PlayStation, because I grew up with Nintendo. So I was an N64 kid and switched to GameCube. It wasn't until much later that I actually played a PlayStation 2. And he introduced me to a game he was playing at the time. I didn't even know what it was. He just said, oh, you know, it's a turn-based game. Run around, you have characters you level up. So this was really my, my first introduction to this concept. And that was Final Fantasy IX. It, it took me years later to realize that was the actual first game of the franchise I saw. But the first game I ever played on my own probably would be Final Fantasy X. And I know a lot of people, I've, I've seen how divisive this game is because of its linearity, but for me this was like the first entry into Final Fantasy. Yes, it was very linear, but I loved the story, I loved the concept. The, the concept of Sin and Xanarkand and, and all that, what they were trying to tell was uh, so amazing to me because it was like the first true story-based game I played from beginning to end. I think it was one of the first games that I played over 20 hours on at the time, or instead of just going back and forth, but literally playing it day after day, um, much to the dismay of my parents. And, and through that game, ironically, I also became a huge fan of Kingdom Hearts because I got the European version of the game where there was a trailer for Kingdom Hearts, and you know, you're a kid, you see Disney, then you're like, oh, uh, these these characters from Final Fantasy, supposedly from this franchise, and, I, and it made me explore this franchise, what's behind it, and it was actually Kingdom Hearts that was my true introduction to the characters of Cloud Strife, of Sephiroth, and Aerith. It wasn't until much later where, you know, you start researching more, where the internet became what it is closer to what it became today, that I really understood what it was. And I never played the original. And th this is my biggest confession. I am only now playing the original game, but I'll get to that. The thing is for me, what made that story so interesting is that I, before I played Final Fantasy VII, I only knew these characters from Kingdom Hearts. And I still went out to, to watch Advent Children because I recognized Cloud Strife. And I remember being emotional because I didn't I knew what happened to Aerith. You know, that's big spoiler alert, uh, alert as always for, for these films. But I, I knew that <laughs> Aerith died in the original game. And, you know, I, I didn't have a connection to it that many people did that were playing the game where it suddenly was, oh, she's dead, what happened? But somehow that Advent Children, it's, you know, in retrospect, it is a very muddled film. But it did a lot right, and it really gave me an emotional connection to this franchise that I wanted to replay Final Fantasy VII. It wasn't until 
you know, you, you get that emotion, but I never at the time, you know, it wasn't easy to get around. I didn't have a PlayStation 1, so I couldn't really play the game as I wanted to. And this was before the PlayStation Store was a thing or the online web stores are a thing. So, you know, even though you wanted to play it, all you could do was kind of passively consume it through reading up on it, reading on the mythology, et cetera, et cetera. And when they announced that they were remaking the game, I had the biggest challenge of, I was like, oh yeah, I did really want to revisit. This was always like a backlog for me that I was like, I want to buy it, but I never in the end did because it was such a huge franchise or such a huge important game. I wasn't sure how I would experience it. And then when the remake was announced, I was like, oh man, but do I want to spoil myself more? Do I want to play that first or play the remake first? And as it's turned out, I played the remake first. And I'll be, I'll be straight, I, I adore what this game does. Yes, it, it has problems. It, it does have a lot of the loading, uh, loading issues. Sometimes the camera goes crazy and some PNG, sometimes the backgrounds do look like PNGs. Uh, you know, common criticisms people brought up, but I do think that the criticism to some degree is harsher because of the expectations of what it means to be Final Fantasy VII. And the funny thing is, uh, I replayed a lot of the Final Fantasy games. I, I caught up with the uh, original games. I remember we, when I was in, in high school, we had laptop classes, and I had one of the first games, I had an emulator on my laptop because at the time, you know, uh, you just had it. And one of the first games I emulated was replaying the original Final Fantasy, the, uh, I think the Aria of Souls Game Boy version. Uh, so I was catching up on the franchise over the years to just get a feeling of what it's about, what, it, what happens in it, you know? And it was, it was a fun experience kind of re-exploring these, these origins of this, this huge franchise, each with this individuality between these different series. And I, I do feel like, and this is the interesting thing while playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, it is kind of the culmination of Final Fantasy history. A lot of elements from Final Fantasy is in this. And I know a lot of people talk about the new battle system, but and, you know, oh, it's really cool because you have the stagger meter. So I've the stagger meter is from Final Fantasy XIII. You have a more action-based combat style from Final Fantasy XV. You have the uh, ATP system that was introduced in the original Final Fantasy VII. You have the waiting periods for magic spells. The bigger the spell, the longer the waiting period from Final Fantasy VI. Uh, a lot of the combat feels like an amalgam of Final Fantasy history. And I do feel that to some degree their goal was to turn this into kind of a... a high peak or a culmination of not just Final Fantasy VII. That, that, that is a truly interesting experience. And I can talk about, you know, gameplay. I'm, I'm no game designer. So for me, it's it's more about, do I have fun? Yeah, sometimes you have to squish through some corridors. Uh, I was just recently replaying the Uncharted series or started replaying them. And I kind of remember that it, that started with them. And it's, it's kind of funny looking back how much that became a gameplay element but there's there's one i think one criticism i don't quite agree on is a lot of people complain about the pacing um they say well final fantasy 7 has a lot it drags out it doesn't have to be just the midgar section and this is why i i think the title of the remake paradox besides the big spoiler i'll get to later is an important factor because when you know the original franchise when you grew up with final fantasy 7 
I think to some degree, you look at this game always in comparison with the original. And as someone who did it the other way around, I'm doing exactly the opposite. And this is an interesting experience because I think one, the only sequence that does drag out is the uh, train yard, uh, tr the train graveyard sequence, which I actually quite enjoyed because the whole point of it was this, is it really happening? They're unsure as building up to it. I think they're trying to build up some lore for a later period, period point in the story. And then when they find out, they have another hindrance getting in their way, which wasn't more connected to the overall story on Aerith. And at first, you know, it does seem to drag out, but the only reason I think for most people it drags out and has to go on is because, you know, we know what happens afterwards. We know actually the urgency of what is happening, but the writers go out of their way to constantly explain they're unsure if it's happening. They're like, they wouldn't do it. Oh, come on, they won't drop the plate until they suddenly see it actually happening. And then the emergency of that situation just gets there, gets to that point. And it's it's funny because when I was playing Final Fantasy VII, the, the original, I couldn't believe how fast you went through these segments. I was like, oh, you know, you just kind of rushed through. Oh, I can run back and level up here. But in the end, Midgar... Yes, it's only four to six hours, depending on how fast you play, but it's kind of rushed in, in, in the original because that's not the focal point of the story. The story's main point is opening up to the big world and seeing and chasing down Sephiroth. And I think a lot of people complain that the whole Sephiroth Genova blood sequence is missing. It's, it's kind of there, but they did definitely change quite, uh, quite a lot. I just think they can't do it to some degree. ESRB, uh, ESRB ratings nowadays are much more strict on certain things. And, you know, they wanted to have a mass appeal. I still think that's good that it's there in tribute. With you following trails of Genova blood, I think it's supposed to be blood. But there's a lot in this game that feels like a it they fought with what to do. Uh, and that's that's my main point. You're making a remake of a game that even if you haven't played, I haven't played it until I played the remake, and I still knew exactly what beats are going to be in the story. And so they had to kind of add its own element. They had to test out how the game would play. And I think the main reason why they say we have to stop at Midgar is if you open up the world to people, and let's say you get to the next village, or at least you get to the Chocobo Ranch, or even if you get um, to Cosmo Canyon, you need to design the entire world. You need to design where or how you play outside of Midgar. And if they did that, I don't think we would have seen the release of this game anytime soon. We would have had to wait till 2023, 2024, until this game would release, that we truly get our hands on the remake. So. I think they knew what they were doing when they decided on Midgar, and you know I can absolutely agree with a lot of people. Say, well, it's kind of it's it's sad to see how modern gaming has made it harder for some game developers to truly give you a forty to sixty hour experience if you compare it to the stories back in the day. But at the same time, you know, back even at playing Final Fantasy VII the original, or or even playing like Final Fantasy X, you accepted more. There was a lot of elements in the story you just kind of accepted for how it was. 
I mean, alone the Final Fantasy VII sequence where you're climbing up uh, to the upper plates, it it looks ridiculous. It, it looks really, really funny because the models are kind of running around on random objects, or at least it looks like something's hanging there. And, you know, people are, and there's like complaints about, oh, you know, the section you have to turn off lights and all of a sudden you have to do it three times. Because that's a dungeon. The, the, the thing is for me is like, I don't think it's called, I, yes, it is to a certain degree. Of course, it's padding because the original story was much shorter in Midgar, but it's, it, it does world building. It, it does add something and it gives these dungeons a sense of purpose. Because otherwise, you know, I, I, I think back to Final Fantasy 15 where you didn't really have dungeons. Like some of them were dungeons and most of them didn't even have anything at the end or didn't really continue the story. And then some of them, you know, you walk in and it's like two steps and you have a boss fight. And this game at least gave me the feeling like this was a living, breathing world. Midgar made sense to me. And that's kind of what was exciting about it. And, you know, a lot of people are pointing out that the, the story does take a few blind... It does have a lot of changes in comparison to the original and you know they kind of had to um sephiroth is a huge selling point for a lot of people and you know I, of course for me from a marketing standpoint to say well you want to get people to play the game yeah it's it's easier to use one of the most recognizable villains in the franchise with sephiroth and go hey normally he's not in the story but here he is but you you know the entire original introduction is really well done you follow the blood trail you find the dead president I didn't know that was not actually Sephiroth, but it was Genova pretending to be Je Sephiroth or whatever convoluted storyline it is, which is ironic because playing that game, you kind of see the origins of how Nomura tells stories, but that was back then more accepted than now. And now he just goes to come more, a bit more convoluted. I'll get to that. Uh, um, but it's, <laughs> it's just really interesting because you can't really do the same thing and expect people to react the same. You know, a lot of people, I think, want, similar to the uh, Jill Valentine Resident Evil 3 remake problem, people wanted a one-to-one -one remake. They wanted that original costume. They wanted her in her original costume in the game and have the game play as similar as possible. But it just doesn't work anymore. It's, it's kind of, I do kind of compare it to, I don't think God of War, the or remake, uh, the remake, the, uh, the new incarnation of the new story that's being told, I don't think that it, it I don't think that they 100% had to decide on that. You know, we, I'm not, I know nothing of the developers, but you see that gaming in general has gone in a new direction because realism is just an extremely big factor for a lot of games. And in, in a way, because especially like Final Fantasy, is is a epic it is always each story tries to tell this epic world-spanning story and they use this opportunity in the remake to make a more smaller close-knit tale about midgar what happens on midgar fleshing out characters giving characters that had barely any lines more personality i think that's no wonder that jesse has become probably one of the most popular characters in the franchise now and, and even just giving characters that had no real development in Midgar their own scenes. I, I believe the train graveyard sequence is mainly there to give Aerith character development because otherwise she just is there along for the line um, besides meeting Tifa. Because I, as soon as you 
get Tifa back. Her her storyline doesn't really start until Sephiroth comes into the picture. That's just my personal opinion on, on how I perceive the story. But here she gets much more development because, in a way, and this is the another huge spoiler warning, they're building up to the fact that this is this is not a remake in the traditional sense. They're not remaking the story. This is why that paradox once again comes in. This is them remaking what Final Fantasy VII is by uh, ending the story pretty much in a bottle sequence with Sephiroth against a, everyone calls it a heartless, and I just, I think it's a sad kind of derogatory way of saying, oh, you know, Nomura only has one character, one monster design because he overused it in another franchise, but there's a point to it, I think, and the, the whispers, these whisper characters that kind of change the story it's it's funny to me how back in the day you know everyone has their own perception of this but in back in the day with final fantasy 7 you kind of don't know exactly you have to like you get out of midgard and it's like oh we have to find sephiroth you kind of run around everywhere just hoping to find wherever he could be and which is of, of its own good story element but back in the day you just kind of accepted it and just did your own thing but now when the franchise is like, okay, these are whispers, they are arbiters of fate, they kind of determine how fate works. Sometimes they do it and sometimes they don't. And at the same time, everyone complains, well, it's not explained well enough. There's, a, I think it's an interesting paradigm of, of consumption of these kind of stories because you, on the one end, you kind of want that freedom to have, you know, imagine it in your mind, but at the same time, there's certain elements you want to have explained. And ironically, to some degree, and I, I think it's, it's, I want to talk about Nomura in a bit more detail when talking about the Kingdom Hearts franchise, because that's where he really goes a bit crazy. But you see that he, the stigma, even though he's not the main writer, he's the director in a lot of story elements, he just supervises him being involved with projects similar to Kojima, uh, Kojima's project, similar to... Tarantino, um, any any director, any person of, of a very recognizable naming and a very recognizable brand of storytelling is kind of connected to the work, even if they didn't do it. it it's kind of, I, I compare this to um, back in the day when Avengers came out and they killed off Coulson, who was a, a fan favorite character. And people said, oh, you know, that's typical Whedon. Uh, he always kills off characters that are popular. And it wasn't even his decision, you know, it was something that was decided above him and he agreed to in include it. And this is a similar story element where you just, at, being involved with a project that certain elements are just connected to automatically, which I find really fascinating. And, but the thing is, is that, you know, these Arbiters of Faith, they're, they're pretty much a meta story they're a meta story element it's it's a bit on the nose i won't deny that it's just a bit in your face about oh we're changing the story oh oh no the story has to be exactly the same it, it is about the fans it is about the struggle i think these story writers had because in a way i don't think you know now that they changed it a lot of people are complaining oh they've changed everything it's similar to metal gear solid 2 with liberty sons where everyone wanted to play snake and he played it played raiden it's a change that at first has people worried, but I think we'll grow accustomed to because of what it means or what it stands for. Uh, especially because it all depends now on how they handle the sequel. If they, I, I, I believe from a marketing standpoint, I know there's been a lot of interviews and that's one thing as well 
that I think a lot of people overlook is that there's so many interviews out there of them pretty much saying that they're going to change it, change a lot in a big way, that it's a it's easy to kind of point the finger. But it, and at the same time, you, you can't, you know, as a, as a director of a project, as a marketing person, you can't just assume that people will always read everything you do. But at the same time, I, I don't agree with people calling it false advertisement. False advertisement is a completely different ballpark than what was happening here. Um, it was just advertisement. And even like people saying, oh, well, there's a lot of references that you won't get if you've never played the franchise before. I, I don't think so. I think to some degree, these these elements that fans dub, oh, no one will understand that. It's just, it's the lost effect. Even if you have no idea what it is, even though you don't know what it means, it's like the Avengers. Who knew who Thanos was? And, and, and in a way we've gotten so accustomed to it, a lot of people know how pop culture works, that it's easy to kind of say, well, we know it because we're fans, and so only fans can understand it. And I have some friends who never played it, who played it and said, oh, you know, that was really cool. I wonder what that was. I wonder what it meant. I'm really confused about it, but I'm excited. And that's, I think, where a lot of elements come in, that this challenges as a remake. And the ending is the only one that breaks that rule by being pretty much the most obvious. But that ending, and I've talked to some that agree on this, that ending made them want to revisit the original Final Fantasy VII. It, it made the original stand on its own even more. And I hope, and it would be really interesting to see if any sales increased for the original Final Fantasy VII on the various devices it's available, just to see, did that have an impact in some way? It's, it's kind of this weird... You know, Resident Evil 3 was a remake of the original. It was pretty, it looked great, it had the gameplay from Final from the Resident Evil 2 remake, but it was very short. And Final Fantasy 7 pretty much took the short aspect and just dragged, made it a bigger, made it its own story, made it bigger, but then at the end went, okay guys, we're gonna change some things. And to some degree, the irony, and this, this is pretty much my last point, one of the big things that we knew about Final Fantasy VII was the sudden death of Eric. And a lot of people are like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna save her, and ah, oh, that would be stupid because her death meant something. Well, think back how many fans tried to find bugs to get her back. How many fans were pointing out that there has to be a way to resurrect her. People always wanted to save her to some degree. And now that it, you know, the possibility would be here, it's kind of a retcon of what was before because we do keep our nostalgia. We do keep the original version of a story at high regard, especially if we grew up with it. I, I do the same thing. I'm no different in any way. And that's what makes it kind of interesting that Final Fantasy VII kind of goes out and says, who knows? Who knows how, what we're going to change? You're going to find out, but you're going to have to stay tuned. It, it was pretty much a very damn good episode of Lost and ended exactly the same way it Lost would end with a cliffhanger that makes you go, what's going to happen now? You know, there is an uncertainty. And I agree that, you know, they could, <laughs> the next one could not be, could be bad. Uh, it's not a great model that we don't know how many games are going to be. That might be full price. It is a little tough to swallow. So it's, it's very important for Square Enix and Nomura and his team to figure out a way to sell that, to make people go, oh, okay, that makes sense. I still think a trilogy would make sense the most, but we could get four or five or maybe even six parts. It just depends on how big they're going to make it. And the thing is, and I, I, I do think that one thing they tested out with this game and why I mentioned the fear of Aerith surviving, I think decisions matter 
more and more in this new remake franchise they're building up. I think your decisions will determine a lot of what happens throughout the story. And the thing is, is that Aerith's death was pretty much a, anyone can die. It can happen suddenly. You, you don't have to expect it. And people are saying, well, that was the whole point of her character. Why take that away? But the thing is, knowing she will die already takes that away. There, that feeling of uncertainty is gone. You know she will die. We all know she will die. Even if you haven't played the game, you have not probably heard about her fate. So the best way to change it is, well, it depends on you. It depends on how you cherish your relationships. It depends on how you interact with other characters. It depends on what you do throughout the story. That determines who dies. And I mean, if they even build in a version that you can play through the entire game, just like the original storyline, that would be pretty amazing. Because then there's a reason to go back, replay it, go through the story again, find out how what changes how, which character survives. Can you manage an actual storyline like people back in the day said? Can everyone still be alive? Is there a way to save Aerith, to bring Aerith back to life? That actually becomes a reality because now your decisions matter. Now you can find out by playing the game and that uncertainty that we're fearing is exactly that what we faced back in the day when Aerith died. And I think that's kind of an exciting aspect. It's, it's, they're remaking, they've remade the game. They've remade Final Fantasy VII. They're remaking our perception of Final Fantasy VII. And in a paradoxical way, they're remaking something or maybe even nothing. It could not just be up to them, but maybe also up to us. Or I'm talking out of my ass and they just do whatever the hell they want. Decisions don't matter, whatever. <laughs> but it's a fun thought experiment. We'd like to know what you guys think. Be very interested to see if you agree, do you disagree? Do you think it should have stayed with, with the path that's going on? Do you think it should go back to what the original did? It'd be interesting. And let's see how much of a paradox it ends up becoming. Keep spinning ink and until next time. Thank you.